0: Chapter Thirteen of Round the Moon This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Round the Moon by Jules Verne. Chapter Thirteen Lunar Landscapes. At half past two in the morning, the projectile was over the thirteenth lunar parallel, and at the effective distance of five hundred miles reduced by the glasses to five. It still seemed impossible, however, that it could ever touch any part of the disk. Its mode of speed, comparatively so moderate, was inexplicable to President Barbicane. At that distance from the moon it must have been considerable to enable it to bear up against her attraction. Here was a phenomenon, the cause of which escaped them again. Besides, time failed them to investigate the cause. All lunar relief was defiling under the eyes of the travelers, and they would not lose a single detail. Under the glasses, the disk appeared at the distance of five miles. What would an aeronaut, born to this distance from the earth, distinguish on its surface? We cannot say, since the greatest ascension has not been more than twenty-five thousand feet. This, however, is an exact description of what Barbicane and his companions saw at this height. Large patches of different colors appeared on the disk. Selenographers are not agreed upon the nature of these colors. There are several, and rather vividly marked. Julia Schmidt pretends that, if the terrestrial oceans were dried up, a selenite observer could not distinguish on the globe a greater diversity of shades between the oceans and the continental plains than those on the moon present to a terrestrial observer. According to him, the colour common to the vast plains known by the name of seas is a dark grey mixed with green and brown. Some of the large craters present the same appearance. Barbicane knew this opinion of the German selenographer, an opinion shared by Bohr and Maedeler observation has proved that right was on their side and not on that of some astronomers who admit the existence of only gray on the moon's surface in some parts green was very distinct such as springs according to julius smith from the seas of serenity and humors Barbicane also noticed large craters without any interior cones, which shed a bluish tint similar to the reflection of a sheet of steel freshly polished. These colors belonged really to the lunar disk, and did not result, as some astronomers say, either from the imperfection in the objective of the glass, or from the interposition of the terrestrial atmosphere. Not a doubt existed in Barbicane's mind with regard to it, as he observed it through space, and so could not commit any optical error. He considered the establishment of this fact as an acquisition to science. Now, were these shades of green, belonging to tropical vegetation, kept up by a low, dense atmosphere? He could not yet say. Further on, he noticed a reddish tint, quite defined— the same shade had before been observed at the bottom of an isolated enclosure known by the name of Lichtenberg's circle which is situated near the Hercynian mountains on the borders of the moon but they could not tell the nature of it they were not more fortunate with regard to another peculiarity of the disk for they could not decide upon the cause of it michel ardain was watching near the president when he noticed long white lines, vividly lighted up by the direct rays of the sun. It was a succession of luminous furrows, very different from the radiation of Copernicus not long before. They ran parallel with each other. Michel, with his usual readiness, hastened to exclaim, "'Look there, cultivated fields!' "'Cultivated fields!' replied Nicole, shrugging his shoulders." Ploughed at all events, retorted Michel Ardan. But what labourers those selenites must be, and what giant oxen they must harness to their plough to cut such furrows. They are not furrows, said Barbicane. They are rifts. Rifts? Stuff! replied Michel mildly. But what do you mean by rifts in the scientific world? Barbicane immediately enlightened his companion as to what he knew about lunar rifts. He knew that they were a kind of furrow found on every part of the disk which was not mountainous, that these furrows, generally isolated, measured from four hundred to five hundred leagues in length, that their breadth varied from one thousand to one thousand five hundred yards, and that their borders were strictly parallel. But he knew nothing more either of their formation or their nature. Barbicane, through his glasses, observed these rifts with great attention he noticed that their borders were formed of steep declivities they were long parallel ramparts and with some small amount of imagination he might have admitted the existence of long lines of fortifications raised by selenite engineers of these different rifts some were perfectly straight as if cut by a line others were slightly curved though still keeping their borders parallel some crossed each other some cut through craters here they wound through ordinary cavities, such as Posidonius, or Patavius, there they wound through the seas, such as the Sea of Serenity. These natural accidents naturally excited the imaginations of these terrestrial astronomers. The first observations had not discovered these rifts. Neither Hevelius, Cassin, Lahire, nor Herschel seemed to have noticed them. It was Schröter who in seventeen eighty-nine, first drew attention to them. Others followed, who studied them, as Pastorov, Greithuizen, Bohr, and Modler. At this time their number amounts to seventy, but, if they had been counted, their nature has not yet been determined. They are certainly not fortifications, any more than they are the ancient beds of dried-up rivers." For on one side the waters so slight on the moon's surface could never have worn such drains for themselves, and on the other they often cross craters of great elevation. We must however allow that Michel Ardan had an idea, and that without knowing it he coincided in that respect with Julius Schmidt. Why, said he, should not these unaccountable appearances be simply phenomena of vegetation? What do you mean? asked Barbicane quickly. Do not excite yourself, my worthy president, replied Michel. Might it not be possible that the dark lines forming that bastion were rows of trees regularly placed? You stick to your vegetation, then? said Barbicane. I like, retorted Michel Ardain, to explain what you savants cannot explain. At least my hypotheses— has the advantage of indicating why these rifts disappear, or seem to disappear, at certain seasons. And for what reason? For the reason that the trees become invisible when they lose their leaves, and visible again when they regain them. Your explanation is ingenious, my dear companion, replied Barbicane, but inadmissible. Why? Because, so to speak, there are no seasons on the moon's surface, and that, consequently, the phenomenon of vegetation of which you speak cannot occur. Indeed, the slight obliquity of the lunar axis keeps the sun at an almost equal height in every latitude. Above the equatorial regions, the radiant orb almost invariably occupies the zenith, and does not pass the limits of the horizon in the polar regions; thus, according to each region, there reigns a perpetual winter, spring, summer, or autumn, as in the planet Jupiter whose axis is but little inclined upon its orbit. What origin do they attribute to these rifts? That is a question difficult to solve. They are certainly anterior to the formation of craters and circles, for several have introduced themselves by breaking through their circular ramparts. Thus it may be that, contemporary with the later geological epochs, they are due to the expansion of natural forces but the projectile had now attained the fortieth degree of lunar latitude at a distance not exceeding forty miles through the glasses objects appear to be only four miles distant at this point under their feet rose mount helicon one thousand five hundred and twenty feet high and round about the left rose moderate elevations enclosing a small portion of the sea of rains under the name of the gulf of iris The terrestrial atmosphere would have to be one hundred and seventy times more transparent than it is to allow astronomers to make perfect observations on the moon's surface. But in the void in which the projectile floated, no fluid interposed itself between the eye of the observer and the object observed. And more, Barbicane found himself carried to a greater distance than the most powerful telescopes had ever done before either that of lord ross or that of the rocky mountains he was therefore under extremely favourable conditions for solving that great question of the habitability of the moon but the solution still escaped him he could distinguish nothing but desert beds immense plains and toward the north arid mountains not a work betrayed the hand of man not a ruin marked his course not a group of animals was to be seen indicating life even in an inferior degree. In no part was there life, in no part was there an appearance of vegetation. Of the three kingdoms which share the terrestrial globe, between them, one alone was represented on the lunar, and that the mineral. "'Ah, indeed,' said Michel Ardan, a little out of countenance. "'Then you see no one?' "'No,' answered Nicole, "'up to this time, not a man, not an animal, not a tree. After all, whether the atmosphere has taken refuge at the bottom of cavities, in the midst of the circles, or even at the opposite face of the moon, we cannot decide.' "'Besides,' added Barbicane, "'even to the most piercing eye a man cannot be distinguished further than three and a half miles off, so that, if there are any Selenites, they can see our projectiles, but we cannot see them. Toward four in the morning, at the height of the fiftieth parallel, the distance was reduced to three hundred miles. To the left ran a line of mountains, capriciously shaped, lying in full light. To the right, on the contrary, lay a black hollow resembling a vast well, unfathomable and gloomy, drilled into the lunar soil. This hole was the black lake— It was Pluto, a deep circle, which can be conveniently studied from the earth, between the last quarter and the new moon, when the shadows fall from the west to east. This black color is rarely met with on the surface of the satellite, as yet it has only been recognized in the depth of the circle of Endymion, to the east of the cold sea, in the northern hemisphere, and at the bottom of Grimaldi's circle, on the equator, toward the eastern border of the orb. Pluto is an angular mountain, situated in fifty-one degrees north latitude and nine degrees east longitude. Its circuit is forty-seven miles long and thirty-two broad. Barbicane regretted that they were not passing directly above this vast opening. There was an abyss to fathom, perhaps some mysterious phenomenon to surprise but the projectile's course could not be altered they must rigidly submit they could not guide a balloon still less a projectile when once enclosed within its walls toward five in the morning the northern limits of the sea of rains was at length passed the mounts of condamine and fontenelle remained one on the right the other on the left that part of the disk beginning with sixty degrees was becoming quite mountainous. The glasses brought them to within two miles, less than that separating the summit of Mont Blanc from the level of the sea. The whole region was bristling with spikes and circles. Toward the sixty degree, Philola stood predominant at a height of five thousand five hundred and fifty feet, with its elliptical crater, and seen from this distance, The disk showed a very fantastical appearance. Landscapes were presented to the eye under very different conditions from those on earth, and also very inferior to them. The moon having no atmosphere, the consequences arising from the absence of this gaseous envelope have already been shown. No twilight on her surface, night following day, and day following night, with the suddenness of a lamp which is extinguished or lighted amid profound darkness. No transition from cold to heat, the temperature falling in an instant from boiling point to the cold of space. Another consequence of this want of air is that absolute darkness reigns where the sun's rays do not penetrate. That which on earth is called diffusion of light— That luminous matter which the air holds in suspension, which creates twilight and the daybreak, which produces the umbre and penumbre, and all the magic of chiaro-oscuro, does not exist on the moon. Hence the harshness of contrasts which only admit of two colours, black and white— If a selenite were to shade his eyes from the sun's rays, the sun would seem absolutely black, and the stars would shine to him as on the darkest night, judge of the impression produced on Barbicane and his three friends by this strange scene. Their eyes were confused. They could no longer grasp the respective distances of the different planes. A lunar landscape, without the softening of the phenomenon of Sierra Oscuro, could not be rendered by an earthly landscape painter, it would be spots of ink on a white page, nothing more. This aspect was not altered even when the projectile, at the height of eighty degrees, was only separated from the moon by a distance of fifty miles, nor even when, at five in the morning, it passed at less than twenty-five miles from the mountain of Gyoja, a distance reduced by the glasses to a quarter of a mile it seemed as if the moon might be touched by the hand it seemed impossible that before long the projectile would not strike her if only at the north pole the brilliant arch of which was so distinctly visible on the black sky michel Ardan wanted to open one of the scuttles and throw himself on to the moon's surface a very useless attempt for if the projectile could not attain any point whatever of the satellite, Michel, carried along by its motion, could not attain it either. At that moment, at six o'clock, the lunar pole appeared. The disk only presented to the traveller's gaze one half brilliantly lit up, while the other disappeared in the darkness. Suddenly the projectile passed the line of demarcation between intense light and absolute darkness, and was plunged in profound night. End of chapter 13